0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. powerful that happens when we join together at the same time, even though we're in different places. And certainly God hears us together, and I just think it's, uh, it's important that we do this live. But it's not perfect, and so we thank you for your patience as we work out sound issues and video issues. Uh, But our goal is still really to to give praise and glory to God, and we want to worship Him together this morning and celebrate Him and honor Him uh, and give Him the worship that is due His name. Uh, So we want to look this morning, we're uh, back in uh, the beginning of, or towards the beginning of Matthew chapter 8. Uh, so let me read. We'll be uh, looking this morning at uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Uh, the title of our message this morning is uh, A Sick and Broken World, um, which we should all be able to rate, relate to, especially now as we're all experiencing a sick and broken world um, in, in very hands-on ways. Let's uh, look uh, and read together from Matthew chapter 8. Uh, When he, that is when Jesus, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. As we begin to look in the scripture, let's take just a moment and pray. Lord God, we thank you that um, that Jesus came with the power to heal and the power to confront uh, sickness in this world. And Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would open up our hearts and our eyes and our mind, and that you would make clear the truth you have for us this morning, that it would come from, from your heart and your mouth, uh, through this messenger and uh, through this medium, and so we just give uh, this time to you, and most of all, we want to worship and praise you and 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 praise Jesus for who He is. And we thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so, Chapter Eight begins a new section, and we just finished looking at chapters five through seven, where we saw uh, Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and. Uh, the the passage on the Sermon on the Mount ends with this phrase that his teaching that Jesus was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. And then the, the setting changes. as says he comes down from the mountain, and great crowds followed him. Um, and the question really uh, comes up: Is Jesus' kingdom is what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount only a kingdom of ideas? Right? Is it just that Jesus is explaining to them and talking to them? about a new higher standard of morality, of right and wrong, a new worldview, if you would? Uh, or, does Jesus' kingdom have power to confront real issues and problems in the world? And so the way Matthew has arranged the material in the, in the book, it's not chronological, but he's laying out chunks. And uh, he inter, intertwines uh, sections on Jesus' teaching with sections on Jesus' uh, healing and miracles. And I think the point that uh, Matthew is making as he interweaves these two things is that the kingdom, and of course Jesus who is the king, is not just ideas, it's not just nice religious thoughts that have to do with uh, living a more loving life and honoring God, which it's, it is, and that's what he taught, that we, we should be holy people who honor God by loving others and, and following the highest standard of morality. But on top of that, we see that Jesus' kingdom comes with power to actually confront and deal with issues in the world. And uh, in this section, chapters 8 through almost the end of chapter 9, we see Jesus uh, confronting problems in the world, sickness, disease, even the forces of nature and the natural order. And we see that Jesus has power over these things. He also has power over demons and the spiritual authorities in the spiritual realms. And so we see that uh, while the world is broken by sin, and, and we know that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Uh, Their sin separated us from God, but it also plunged the world into chaos and disorder and put all creation under the curse of sin. It brought sickness and disease and ultimately death into the world. And so uh, through sin, you could say that thorns, uh, and in the curse God said that you'll be plagued by thorns and thistles. And I would add to thorns and thistles, viruses, right? A virus, the coronavirus, is just a really tiny thistle, microscopic, Right? And it doesn't affect our crops, it affects our life and our body. And these are all uh, the effects of sin. And so we're in a world now, as we all are experiencing, uh, ravaged and uh, turned upside down by the COVID virus, but also by things like cancer and heart disease and, and other kinds of pandemics. This isn't the first time that the world has had to deal with these kind of issues. And so the question is, does the kingdom of God have anything to do with that? Does the kingdom of God have any influence or impact on a world suffering with a coronavirus? Or is the kingdom of God just a spiritual thing that has to do with forgiveness of sins and prayer and somehow the afterlife, but it really has no impact in our life here and now as we deal with uh, a broken and sick world? Uh, Is it just ideas and nice teaching? Well, I believe that Jesus teaches here and he models here That his kingdom comes to confront the kinds of evil that are the result of sin. That Jesus comes to confront sickness and death. And not only to confront them, but ultimately to overcome these things, this brokenness in the world. Um, So we're going to look this morning at at how Jesus did it while he was here. uh, But we're also going to look at what that means for today. And we may think, well, Jesus, sure, he did it then when he came, when he was alive and on the earth. But what does that have to do with today? Uh, Is Jesus still, is his kingdom still confronting brokenness in the world today? And if so, why are we all stuck at home with the coronavirus, right? Why are we seeing sickness and death uh, all around us? So let's look at this. Um, Basically, this section has three stories of Jesus healing. And actually, in this section, in chapters 8 through the end of 9, there's actually three segments with three stories of healing in each, uh, broken up with um, Jesus' teaching on discipleship. So in this first section, we see three stories of three different people who come uh, needing help from Jesus, all dealing with a physical disease or sickness. So the first one that comes, it says that he comes down, and a great crowd is following him. And behold, a leopard comes to him, and knelt before him, saying, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." Um, I've entitled this point. Ooh, we lost our. Do we not have? Do we not have a points? Here we go. There it is. I've titled this first point: uh, the end of social distancing, right? Um, because if there's anybody who is an expert who whose life is all about social distancing, it was lepers, right? Leprosy was a disease that forced people into uh, Total social distancing. Like, so this is not a new invention. This is not something that we came up with in our era. This is something that actually goes way back into the Old Testament. Uh, and it's also important to understand that leprosy is not uh, by the Jews was not really seen so much as a sickness as it was an uncleanness. And leprosy uh, described many different kinds of skin disorders. Most of them were not really life threatening. In fact, the ones that were most likely uh, prevalent in the Old Testament and in Jesus' time were more of an inconvenience. They were not life-threatening, but they made you ceremonially unclean or impure. And as a result, you became off-limits to everybody because anybody who touched you or came close to you was also made unclean by exposure to you. Um, uh, uh, So so the the, the effect of leprosy was not only the, the skin problem, but it left you in a state of long-term social distancing. And I think uh, if, if, if the coronavirus has done anything, if all this craziness has done anything for us, it's made us a lot more sympathetic to people with leprosy. Because in a sense, we're all now experiencing something of the life of a leper. We are all social distancing. We're all to cut ourselves off from interaction with other people. And so that's why I'm preaching to an empty room this morning, uh, but I'm connecting with you through uh, Facebook because we're not allowed to be together. Well, that was the life of the leper. Uh, They were um, to exclude themselves from all contact with other human beings, even their family. They were an outcast from society. Uh, And for them, the social distancing was, was long term, it wasn't just for a few weeks or a few months, it was until the disease was cured. And most of these skin diseases were incurable, so it was social distancing for a lifetime. It could go on for years or for your whole life. And it highlights that the the devastating effects of sin and its consequences are not just that it brings sickness or disease, but these sickness and diseases and viruses ultimately cut you off from people. Right, and we know that even whether it's the coronavirus or other things that make us uh, uh, contagious. Um, Sin and sickness and disease isolates us from community. It does not bring people together. That's an important thing to understand. Sin does not bring us together. Sin ultimately isolates us and drives us away from human relationships. That's the impact and effect of sin. Um, So this leper comes and he's dealing with this social distancing and with this skin disease, and he's an outcast from society. But he uh, is very bold to come and approach Jesus and to bow before him. Now, this was a very risky thing for him. Uh, lepers were to keep their distance. And to come even near to Jesus meant probably that he disbanded the crowd, right? Kind of like somebody going into 7 without a mask. Everybody hits the floor, right? Well, that's kind of what happened. This leper comes and he goes, I'm a leper, a leper, a leper. And everybody, the crowd that was with Jesus, probably all fled, ran, because they don't want to be contaminated. They don't want to be made unclean. But Jesus does not run. uh, And Jesus receives him. And it says he comes and he bows, he kneels before Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And in his statement there, uh, the leper describes two things that are important about all healing. All healing comes down to two important things. One uh, is did Jesus have the power and ability to solve the problem? Can Jesus actually heal? But well, the second part of it is, is he willing? Uh, this leper was confident in Jesus' ability. He doesn't, in fact, that's why he comes to Jesus. He comes confident knowing that Jesus has power to heal and to solve his problem. But he's not so sure that Jesus is willing. Uh, and there could be a lot of reasons for this. Maybe he just doesn't want to assume. Uh, presume on Jesus' power. He understands that Jesus is a free agent; that he could choose to do whatever he wants. Um, but maybe more than that, it's partly because he is a leper, and he knows that he is a social outcast; that he is not really welcomed by society. So why would he be welcomed by Jesus? Um, and and uh, leprosy was was so serious, and in fact so incurable that many Jewish people believed it to kind of be the ultimate disease. It made you unclean. It, it cast you out. They believed that it was so difficult to heal that it was basically on the same level as rising somebody from the dead. Right? Uh, and so, as, as such, it was, it was seen as really a curse from God. To be leprous was to be cursed by God. And so you, you couldn't not, not only fellowship with people, but you were, you were not allowed to go into the temple. That was the, that was the most serious thing. When you were unclean, you were not allowed to join with worship. You could not go to the temple. You couldn't offer offerings. You couldn't come before God. And so there was a really a, a real sense for lepers that they were unfit for God. They were unfit for worship. They were unfit. And so maybe he felt this great unworthiness that he would be allowed to, to come into Jesus' presence and, and that Jesus would be willing to heal him. But it's amazing what Jesus says. Without... Without batting an eye, uh, it says Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, "I will be clean." Jesus doesn't hesitate, and what's what's amazing is not only does he hes- not hesitate to heal this man, but he he doesn't hesitate to touch him. And and you just didn't do this, all right? This is you just didn't do this. Again, it's like going into Seven Eleven without a mask on. You just don't do it, right? Um, you don't touch somebody with leprosy because, uh, in the Jewish system, it would make you unclean. But Jesus stretches out his hand and he does something that this man has not experienced perhaps in a very long time. He feels the touch of another human being, right? And as we'll see in a minute, this isn't required. Jesus doesn't have to do this to heal, but it's part of what restoring does, right? It's not just about the sickness, but it's about restoring this guy to relationship, and uh, to break down uh, his social distancing. And so Jesus overcomes that and he touches him. Um, The questions that arise, and a lot of theologians debate this, maybe you don't care so much, but somebody cares. Did this make Jesus himself unclean? Like by doing this, was Jesus uh, essentially breaking the law, or if not breaking the law, at least bringing uh, this man's uncleanness onto himself? Well, there's two ways to answer that, of course. Yes or no. <laughs> Either he did or he didn't. Uh, we don't actually know. But two principles could be at play here. One, uh, in the temple, the most holy things could not be made unholy. And in fact, uh, the most holy things had the, the powerful effect of making everything that it touched holy. So that was the altar. The altar in the, in the t- tabernacle, or in the temple, was holy. Holy. And and Old Testament tells us that when the offering, the meat of the animal, was laid on the altar, there was nothing holy necessarily about a ram or a bull or a goat. But when that offering was laid on the temple, it became holy by contact with the altar. So there's this principle that the things that are most holy uh, communicate or transfer that holiness to everything that touches them. So maybe it's true that that's what happened with Jesus, that Uh, that that he transferred his holiness and his cleanness to this man. And certainly this man was made clean by Jesus' touch. He was healed and restored and whole. So there's a sense in which um, by touching him, he was no longer unclean. But it's also true, as we'll see at the end of this passage, that uh, Jesus was willing to take on himself our impurity and our uncleanness and our filth and our sin. Uh, He did contaminate himself. Uh, and that was the power of the cross. And we'll see that at the end of this passage. Um, and, and I really believe that in this, in this passage, the, the emphasis here more than, more than just the, the healing, was the, the power of this touch. That for Jesus, um, touching this man was more important than the custom or tradition or the risk or danger of becoming unclean. Uh, Jesus deals with all the consequences of sin. Not just his unhealthiness or his sickness, but also his isolation and his being cut off. And what we see is that Jesus ultimately restores this man to community and to relationship. Well, the passage ends with Jesus saying to him, don't, don't say anything to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof or a witness to them. Um, we, don't, we don't really know why Jesus said, don't tell anybody um, there's lots of theories on this and we don't have time this morning to go into it. Uh, part, of the, part of it was practical. The more people knew about Jesus and his healing, the more complicated it was for him to do ministry. Uh, as it is, Jesus is soon to be crushed by crowds and people bringing their sick and their, uh, their afflicted. Uh, so so Jesus, Jesus doesn't want that to get out of hand, so he's careful about it being spread abroad. But also we see that Jesus is not interested in glory for himself. Right? He's not about, make sure you go tell everybody what I did. Right, Jesus is humble and he cares about people, not about his own reputation. Um, but he does want to, him to, this guy to tell somebody. He's to go to the priest. He's to make the offering as a witness. And it's a witness to Jesus of his healing power. Uh, but it is also the act or the offering that was required to restore this guy to community. Right? That's, what, that's the way the process worked. It, it puts an end by going to the priest, by presenting himself by the priest, declaring him now healed and cured from the leprosy. He is then restored to community. And it means an end for this guy, an end to social distancing. Right? What we all hope for. The end of social distancing. Right? And so, so we see that Jesus and his kingdom brings healing, but it, but it also unites, it brings together, it restores broken relationships and rich fellowship and communion with God and with each other. Then we move on to the next story. Um, and this is a story that really talks about the end of ethnic exclusion, uh, ethnic or, or cultural division. Um, so this story is about uh, uh, the centurion and Jesus is, is in Capernaum, which um, is where he kind of had his home base. And it says a, a centurion came uh, forward to Jesus, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Um, we, we see in this story that there is uh, an obstacle in the way to healing. Right? Jesus, uh, unlike the leper, where there, and there really was a, a, an obstacle to the healing of the leper as well, and that obstacle was his, his impurity, his uncleanness. But, but for here, it's a different obstacle, and it's a cultural or ethnic obstacle, the centurion is a Roman soldier. Um, and not only just a Roman soldier, but a commander, an officer in, in the Roman army. A commander of a, of a century, of a hundred soldiers, roughly. Uh, and to really uh, get the full impact of what's going on here, we have to understand how much the Jews hated Rome. Um, it's very likely that, uh, that Matthew is writing this gospel after the destruction of the temple. Which means it was after 70 A.D. when the Romans had come and completely leveled Jerusalem and slaughtered tens of thousands of Jews. Right. Uh, the Jews hated Rome and Romans. Right? And if you're a Jew hearing this story, reading the story in the Gospel of Matthew, and you read this, uh, a centurion came to him. You would cringe. The centurion, those, those vile, hated Romans... Jesus should just strike this guy dead, right on the spot. Boom! Right? Because he is the enemy. But that is not what Jesus does, right? Uh, Jesus uh, blows apart... Well, well, Jesus blows apart the stereotypes. He blows apart the hatred. And Matthew actually blows apart the stereotype of what a Roman centurion was like. Now, the stereotype was that they were mean, they were hateful, they were brutal, they were, brutal. Uh, they were uh, the Roman military machine... Heartless and ruthless, but we see this centurion is not like that, and and Matthew portrays him in a very different light. Uh, first, he comes, and, and the guy is clearly not a jerk, or mean, or brutal, or ruthless. But he comes to Jesus humbly, uh, humbly appealing uh, to Jesus with great respect. Uh, he calls Jesus Lord, and to again to get the picture for a Roman soldier to call, call a Jew a Lord, a title of respect and dignity was really unheard of. But he comes and he, he, he doesn't bow like the leper did, but he, he addresses Jesus as Lord with respect and dignity and, and honor. And, and we see that this man is, is genuinely concerned about one of his servants uh, lying at home paralyzed and suffering. This, this uh, centurion is not heartless or ruthless. He's actually very sensitive to the suffering and pain of his servant who's at home, and he's been paralyzed. We don't know if it's from a disease or an, uh, uh, some kind of accident, but not only is he paralyzed, but he's suffering, suffering terribly. He's in pain and he's in agony, and this this uh, centurion is moved um, to do something, and so he approaches Jesus, knowing that Jesus could heal. What's also interesting is that he doesn't actually make a a demand. He doesn't say to Jesus, my servant's sick, you need to do something about this. I'm I'm ordering you to heal my servant. He doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't even make a request. He simply explains to Jesus his problem. He doesn't ask, can you do something? Can you heal? Can you fix this? He just says, "My, my servant is at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. Um and there's an obstacle here. Uh, Jesus answers in, in many translations, it's translated, most translations, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Uh, but there's an alternate and perhaps preferred translation um, that is that, that, that would be translated, will I come to your house? Right? There, there was a problem um, at many levels with the Jew entering the home of a Roman. And it wasn't that Jesus hated him or that Jesus uh, didn't want to help but uh, it, was, it was basically against the law for a Jew to enter the house of a Roman. Again, it was a problem of uncleanness. Uh, but beyond that, Jesus focuses most of his ministry on, on Jews. And he's very clear that his mission, uh, while he's on earth, was focused on bringing the good news in the kingdom to Jewish people. And so, for the most part, we don't see Jesus interacting uh, with Gentiles. In fact, only two occurrences in the Gospel of Matthew does Jesus interact with, with Gentiles? So this is one of them. And, and so there's there's some uncertainty here. And I, I think that Jesus is uh, saying this to open the door to see how this guy will respond. Because certainly, this Roman soldier understands the disdain the Jews have for, for interacting with Gentiles. So either, either way, uh, the centurion's aware of the problem, right? He's aware of the obstacle. And either way, whether Jesus... Uh, uh, agrees to go or, or asks a question, uh, the centurion is clearly not comfortable with Jesus coming to his house. He says, Lord, I am, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes, and to another come and he comes, and to uh, my servant do this and he does it. There's an obstacle, but but uh, and, and the obstacle is ultimately this ethnic exclusion, this barrier of cultural differences uh, that that the Roman was very aware of. But it was not a problem for Jesus, right? For Jesus, Jesus not, did not come to divide, but to bring together. Uh, but but the, solution, the soldier has a solution, uh, and his solution is uh, that Jesus has authority to heal by a word, by a command, right? And the point here is not just that Jesus could heal at a distance, but this guy is, is clearly aware of where Jesus' authority comes from. And he uses an illustration from his own life. And this is the way it worked for a Roman soldier. A centurion was under uh, the authority of somebody over him. And that person was the, under the authority of somebody even higher. And that chain of command went all the way up to the emperor of Rome himself. And so the way it worked, you were authorized. This centurion was authorized to give orders. And when he gave an order, it wasn't just from him personally. He wasn't saying to his soldier, I, as a centurion, am asking you to do this. When the centurion gives a command, it comes with the authority of the emperor himself. Right? And to defy an order of a centurion was to defy a command of the emperor. Right, The ruler of Rome. And, and so he says, I know, Jesus, that you're just like this. You come in the authority of God Himself. And when you speak, you speak with the authority of God Almighty. And so for you, it's an easy thing to command and to order this disease to go away and to be healed and cured because you operate with the very authority of God upon you. Right? This was an incredible degree of faith and insight by a Gentile. And, and Jesus acknowledges that. He says to the crowd, He says, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I haven't seen somebody who has this kind of understanding of who I am and who has an understanding of my power and my authority. And here it comes from this Roman soldier. He has incredible faith. And a faith that comes with amazing insight and perception into who Jesus is and how He operates. Uh, Throughout the Gospels, we see often the Jewish leaders coming to Jesus and saying, by what authority do you do these things? Right? They did not believe that Jesus came from God. They could not accept that Jesus operated with the authority of God the Father. But here's this Gentile who sees it clearly and understands that Jesus could not do the things he was doing if he wasn't operating under the full authority of God. And so Jesus commends his faith. But he goes beyond that. He says, I tell you, I haven't I haven't seen anybody in all Israel with this kind of faith. But more than that, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Right? Come from east and west. Uh, let me get my directions right. East was Rome. No, that would be west. West was Rome. East was... Uh, uh, where the wise men came from. It was where the Magi came from. And, and Jesus is picturing that already in his life they have come from the east and west and it's just a sign of what is going to happen when Gentiles come from the four corners of the globe into the kingdom to the banquet feast of, of the Lamb uh, where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will be seated and they will be in heaven enjoying the benefits and celebration and wonder of eternal life with God. But that's not the end of it. He says more. He says, They will recline with Abraham, Jacob, in the the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And who are the sons of the kingdom? Well, those were the Jewish people. And Jesus warns the crowds standing around at kind of a far distance listening. And to his disciples, look, there are those who are sons of the kingdom, Jews who belong, that will be cast out because they do not have this kind of faith. But that's the issue now. It's not your heritage, not what family you were born into, but do you have faith in Jesus as the one who came with the authority and power of God? And this is a great picture that um, judgment is a picture of hell, of, of God's judgment when those who do not have faith are not allowed to come into the kingdom of heaven. They are not allowed to come sit at the table in the banquet in eternity. And instead they are thrown out into a place of darkness and weeping and gnashing. And it's a picture that judgment is ultimately the extension of sin's consequences to its furthest extreme. Like if we don't like social distancing, we will not like hell, right? Right? The darkness is a picture of absolute isolation and aloneness, of absolute and total social distancing, where you are cut off from all relationships and you are alone in the dark. And there is weeping, there is loss, there is grief, there is gnashing of teeth, there is torment. There is the full pain and extent of the final consequences of sin. And so Jesus warns the Jewish people, it's interesting, uh, one commentator says that uh, Jesus talks a lot about hell not to warn lost people, but to warn those who think they're saved. right? To warn those who think they belong, but do not. And so then Jesus says to the centurion, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. According to your faith, according to what you envision by your faith, let that be what happens. And immediately that says that his servant is healed at that very moment. Um, so, so we see Jesus uh, will be breaking down the dividing wall between uh, nations that now Gentiles from every corner of the world will be brought into the kingdom. Right? And, and so that, that effect of sin is being destroyed by Jesus. It's captured well in John 1:11 through 12, where Jesus said, uh, where, where John writes, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so, to all who will come from every nation, that they come in faith, they and receive Jesus, they will become children of God. Uh, the third story is shorter. In fact, it's super brief. Uh, it says when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law. That he saw his mother-in-law. Be really clear that's Peter's mother-in-law, not Jesus. Just to be clear, Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Uh, right. So third case, third third healing, and here we have a person, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, who who has a fever. Uh, probably a virus, right? Some kind of virus. Maybe a coronavirus. Who knows? Uh, some kind of influenza. She's sick. She has a fever. Her, ba- her body has been invaded by a, a, a virus, just like now. Uh, but the fever has left her so weak that she is perhaps uh, just, just asleep or unconscious or passed out, right? Uh, she, 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 is, she is so weak, she can't even ask for help. Uh, and this is a great picture of Jesus coming to care for the weak and the vulnerable. Uh, it's interesting, in, this, in these three stories, there's first the leper who's an outcast because of his uh, uncleanness. Then there's the Roman who's an outcast because of his, his ethnic background. Here we have a third category of people who are oftentimes uh, social outcasts, or at least on a lower level, and that would be women. Right. In Jesus' day, women were oftentimes treated worse than the family ox or donkey. Right? They were often not treated with great dignity or respect. Uh, oftentimes they would be easily overlooked as unimportant. But uh, every group of people is important to Jesus. The weak, the vulnerable, the outcast. And here Jesus uh, sees Peter's mother-in-law sick and he cares for her. Um. Even when she's too weak to 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 uh, call out for help, um, if we want to find a formula in, in healing, I love that these stories. You're never going to find a formula because what works in one story doesn't work in the other, right? The first story Jesus touches, the second story he doesn't even touch. It hasn't come into the house, right? Third story he touches again. Uh, I think okay, so touching's not the secret. Well, maybe. Maybe the secret is faith. The leper definitely had faith. He believed Jesus could heal. Uh, the, the Roman, he has faith, great faith, unlike anything that Jesus has seen. But here's a woman who's so weak and so passed out, she can't even have faith. right? She can't even muster the strength to ask for help, much less believe that Jesus can do this. right? Uh, we will never figure it out. right? We will never... Uh, We'll never make it into an airtight formula. Jesus comes to her in her weakness and needs and he touches her, touches her hand, and the fever leaves her immediately. Again, he heals her instantly. Uh, He takes away the virus, takes away the the illness, uh, and he heals her. And it says that immediately she jumps up out of bed And she began to serve him, right? Uh, That illustrates another thing that sin and sickness does. Not only does it make us weak and vulnerable, but also it makes us unable to work, right? And we all know what it feels like to be so sick that we can't work or to be so healthy but surrounded by sick people we can't work, right? We're all Um, self-quarantined. Jesus restores her to a place where she can work, right? And sometimes sickness comes and it's sometimes it's God God allows us to get sick because we need a mini-vacation, right? And sometimes it's just so good to be wiped out for two or three days and, and be sick and have a fever and get rest that we need. Um, uh, but, but when it goes on for a longer period of time and we're seeing in the world all around us right now, to go without work for very long uh, is a life-threatening thing. And not only that, but it... it it, it takes away our purpose, our God-intended purpose in life. Right, We were created by God to work and to serve, to have meaningful activity. And whether that means a job where we get paid or it just means serving, God intended us to serve and to give and to help others. And we see that sickness takes us out. Right, It makes us where we can't work, we can't serve. And we are all aware of this right now. As the whole world's ground to a halt and people cannot work, they cannot serve, they can't do the things that keep them meaningfully engaged in purposeful activity. Uh, but Jesus heals. Not only does he take away the sickness, but he restores her so that she can serve. He renews us so that we're able to continue with the purpose for our life. And then this passage ends this way. It says that um, that evening they brought many to him, who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our sickness. Um, and, and maybe the whole point of the story comes down to this last sentence. right? From Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus' suffering, the suffering servant, and it describes at great length how Jesus... Uh, took on himself our sin and our sickness. Let me just read Isaiah 53 verses three through five. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow so that could be translated pain. Uh, a man of pain and acquainted with grief, grief could be translated as sickness. right And as one for whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our sickness. Our grief, our sickness, and carried our pain. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. It's amazing that in this passage it puts together sin and sickness, right? the cause of disease and the disease itself. And both the cure for both of those things are ultimately in Jesus and His cross. Right, The ultimate cure for sickness is not a vaccine, it's not better medicine, it's not a pill. The ultimate cure that will finally take away all sickness and disease is the cross. Right, Because the problem of sickness is sin. Sin is the, is the curse and... Re- sickness is the curse of our sin. The only way to deal with sickness is to take away the cause, which is sin. And Jesus did that by taking on Himself our sickness and our infirmity and carrying it to the cross where He died for us. Let me just close by um, talking about what this has to do with us today. And here's the problem. We all know and we believe that Jesus did these miracles and that it attested, it was a witness to to his deity. That we know he was the Messiah. We know he came from God because he did all these miracles. He healed every sickness. It says that every, every case that was brought to them, he healed. In other words, there was no sickness, no disease, no paralysis, no blindness, no defect. Nothing was brought to Jesus that Jesus said, oh wow, I can't, I can't solve this. Right? He took care of every problem whether it was demons, whether it was spiritual oppression, whether it was emotional, uh, whether it was physical. He confronted everything and he overcame. And we know that, right? Um, And we know that when Jesus returns with his kingdom, he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He is going to restore all things new. And in, in Revelation it says there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more tears. There will be no more social distancing, Right heaven's going to be a place where we're going to be able to hang out all we want and party and and have fellowship and celebrate Jesus and and there will be no isolation or quarantines. But what happens in between Jesus first coming and his second? Right? For us living here and now, what can we expect Jesus kingdom to confront the evil and sickness in this world? Are we back to the time where it's just a spiritual thing? Or does Jesus have the power to heal and deal with coronaviruses and COVIDs right here and now? Well, it's a complicated question and I'm not going to be able to answer all of it. But let me just, from this passage, highlight a couple things. Uh, I do believe that his kingdom still has power. And it has power to confront real problems in the world here and now. Uh, But but there are some conditions. And, And the truth is that just as... Jesus' kingdom power and the power of the cross deals with sin in our life. It doesn't eradicate all sin in our life. right? We all know that we all still deal with sin. It's, it's forgiven. And it's, it's, in the future we know that it will, it will be gone completely. We all know that in the present we still wrestle with sin. So the cross, even though it's the ultimate solution for sin, uh, hasn't completed its work, its saving work, yet. Same thing is true for sickness. Um, it does have power over sickness and, 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 and all the curses of the world, the isolation and separation. But it's not a complete cure until Jesus comes back. So when we get sick or when we deal with coronaviruses or when we deal with a world that's under uh, this mess, what, what is Christians, what, do we, what is our response? What do we do when we come down with a cancer or a disease or a problem? Well, I think, I think we do this. First of all, I think we should always see that the problem is ultimately spiritual and that we should be praying when we are sick. Right? One of our mistakes is that we assume that the cure for sickness is medicine, the cure for sin is Jesus. Uh, and we don't realize that Jesus is the cure ultimately for both. And so when there's sickness, when, when, when somebody's afflicted, we should be praying for them. Right, we should be praying. Well, how do we pray? Well, here's some principles. First, we see from the, the, the story of the leper. The leper came and he said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, praying for miracles is not some kind of magic formula where we compel God to do whatever we want. Right? Praying for healing should always be prayed this way. Lord Jesus, if you are willing, we know you are able to heal every sickness and every disease. But Jesus, it's up to you. right? We trust His will that He will always do what's best and right. And I don't know why He doesn't heal some diseases, uh, but He doesn't. But we should give Him the opportunity by praying and asking. And by giving Him the opportunity to do what He might be willing to do. Uh, Secondly, we see in two of the cases... Healing came through a touch. There's something very healing about human touch. Jesus is not here, so Jesus himself cannot personally touch us. But we, as the body of Christ, are now his hands. And we know that when we pray, we are called to touch people. It says, come and lay your hands on the sick and pray for them. And I think there's something very powerful about bringing sick people before the body of Christ, before the pastors and elders, and having them lay their hands and pray and trust God to heal. Uh, thirdly, we see that it is a matter of spiritual authority. And the authority does not reside in us, it res- resides in Jesus. Right? When we pray for healing, we are appealing to the authority in Jesus over sin and sickness and death. We appeal to his authority, not ours. But we do it in faith. Right? Jesus commended the faith of the centurion. We need to we need to have faith that God has uh, the heart and the power to heal. Uh, Faith is a factor. But we also see that faith is not... uh, that Jesus can heal without faith, right? Um, Now, prayer in itself is an act of faith. Asking in itself is an act of faith. But we may be praying for somebody who has no faith or doesn't have enough faith. And God's not limited to healing by the faith of of the person being healed. Right, we can pray for the lost that God would heal them, and sometimes He does, as a witness to who He who He is. Um, it's also important that we come with faith, but we also come in a spirit of weakness and need. Right, the leper came uh, in weakness, in desperate need. The centurion came with desperate need. Right, um, we come in a spirit of weakness and need, recognizing. We don't deserve this, but we need Jesus' help. Right? We, we need His power to overcome our weakness. And lastly, and most importantly, we come expecting healing through the power of the cross. Right? That Jesus took on the cross and on Himself sin, but He also took on Himself our sickness. And it is through His wounds, with His wounds, we are healed. And then we leave it in God's hands. Uh, he may heal us here and now, and oftentimes He does. It may not be instant, uh, but He may heal. Uh, he, he may, we pray, uh, heal the coronavirus. Right? For whatever means, however He does that, we pray that God will, will remove this so we can go back to our life and, and, and our ministries and our missions. Right? We, we can pray for that. But the, 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 And, and why God may use medicine, He may use vaccines, He may use other things, we know that the ultimate overcoming is the power of the cross. So we trust Jesus to do this work by what He accomplished on the cross. By dying for us, He forgives our sin and He heals our sickness. And if He doesn't do it here and now, we have confidence and hope that He will do it in eternity. If you get uh, the coronavirus and it kills you, it's actually not bad news for you if you know Jesus. Because there will be an ultimate healing when we are resurrected and we join him and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at that banquet table. right? And our sickness will be gone forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you uh, created this world uh, in a way that's good and perfect and right. And we recognize that it's our own sin and our own rebellion against you that has brought all the trouble that is in the world. And it is the curse which is a result of sin that, that has brought about sickness and viruses and, and all that has come about because of it. The isolation and the quarantine and the, and, and the inability to work and to see the world grind to a halt. We know it's all the result of sin. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that the answer is not in better government. It's not in, um, it's not in medicine. It's not in some pill that's going to take it all away. The real answer is in Jesus, who's already paid for the full consequences of sin when he died on the cross, when he took upon himself our sickness and our illness, and he overcame it, through his own blood, through his own wounds on the cross. So Lord, help us know how to deal with the sickness that's all around us. Um, As you, uh, as children of the kingdom, But that we would pray for healing, that we would trust and believe you for healing, and that we will believe and trust in whatever you do, that it's your good and perfect will, and that you will... um, you will heal us either in this life or, in, or when you return. And, Lord, we trust you and we give you praise and we celebrate your power over sin and death in the grave. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.